the 90 minutes or less film fest my name is sam clements and this is the podcast that celebrates films with a 90 minute or less runtime in each episode a guest will select a film and join me to add to our ongoing fictional film festival today we're joined by writer and director reggie yates who listeners you may know from the many hats reggie's worn over the years including presenter dj actor documentary filmmaker and now feature filmmaker. Hello, Reggie. Hello, how are you doing? Very good, thank you. Thank you for joining us on the show today. Thank you for having me. No, it's, um, it's awesome. I'm literally in the comfort of my own home, so it wasn't that much of an effort. Now, Reggie, when I, you know, I, this is an under 90 minutes uh, film podcast, so when I saw Pirates on the schedule, got very excited. Right. 80 minutes long. That's an incredible runtime. Yeah, well, it's, uh, I think to be exact, it's 83, where they're all there about. Yeah, it's, it's, it's tight. It's tight as hell. Um, it started out around 105, and it just got tighter and tighter and tighter as we, uh, as we edited it. And where we've ended up, it's just a real gem of a movie that hopefully will G you up to go out for a night out after seeing it, you know? I always think a sign of a good film is when it leaves you wanting more. You're right. You want to join the boys right after the film when the credits are rolling. Well, that's the plan. That's the plan. Have you seen it yet? Yeah, yeah. We um, I watched it, and then me and my wife, who produces the show, we went straight to a Caribbean restaurant because we <laughs> wanted some plantain. <laughs> <laughs> and how was the ordering process for you during that uh, that, that moment? Thankfully, it was on an app, so we didn't have to uh, to pick <laughs> a side. But um, I mean, that scene that scene's incredible. Uh, listeners, if you've seen the trailer, it's featured in the trailer as well. But um, but yeah, no, the film is a banger. I think that's my official verdict. Great. That's very kind. Thank you. I mean, um, Pirates is a, a film that I'm I'm very excited about. Obviously, I, I should be as it's my first film as a writer director, but um, it is something I'm excited about because we're throwing a time capsule around uh, a scene and a moment um, in 1999 that hasn't really ever been highlighted. You know, UK garage music was massive for my formative years, and um, it was more than just the music, much like any other subculture in this country. There's been countless exhibitions about ska and grime and punk and all these different genres that have come out of uh, out of the UK. And nothing really has been dedicated to UK Garage. And I'm just really, really chuffed that I'm the first one that's done it on a feature film, you know? I think it'll, it'll really strike a chord with, a, you know, there's a, a huge number of the population who can remember that moment, you know, <laughs> remember that music scene uh, back in 99. You also have a few sort of references to the era, which I quite liked, a lot of flip phones. Um, I think there's a mention about maybe the computers are all going to break down as well. You're like, of course, we were going crazy for that in 99. Yeah, there were loads of references to the, the era, which I thought were really important because on the one hand, you know, you've got a younger audience coming in to see this film ideally, and then you'll have a nostalgia audience because you've got people um, like myself who remember what it was like to be a teenager during the flip phone era and the time before smartphones and the time before the internet. And also, you know, this is a movie, a coming of age movie at that, where you've got three 18 year old lead characters. So ideally there'll be lots of young people going to see it because they see themselves and hopefully there'll be lots of people going to see it who want to have a little flashback, you know, want to have that moment of nostalgia when they go to the cinema. I'm 34 now. I remember this era, you know, pretty clearly. I was a bit younger than the characters in the film, but I, I remember it pretty fresh. But you've got some amazing young leads in the movie. 
It just yeah. must be like a totally different time for them. What was it like explaining to them about 1999? Less the boys had to do a lot of research on their own terms. Uh, and also, uh, thankfully, I was able to introduce them to a few people from the scene who schooled them about what it was like in that era or what it was like to, to grow up around that time. And, you know, it was a world away from the, the normality of, uh, of the boys' current existence because they're all in their early 20s. I think Redder turned 21 during lockdown, mid-shoot, you know. Um, we have a very, very talented group of, uh, of, of, uh, of actors at the centre of this project. And um, I'm just really pleased that they were able to nail the genre and nail the time period as well. You've been behind the camera before in you know, a few different roles, but you know, this is a feature film. How did you approach writing the screenplay? Um, well, I'd written quite a lot and I'd started writing drama and comedy quietly on my own about 15 years prior to, to Pirates being relit. And I've written a lot of terrible scripts that didn't get any love at all. And it was making short films that really um, helped hone my craft, as it were. Going from script to actually making something, I think, makes you a better writer. And it was because I put my hand in my pocket and started making short films. And then people started to pay me to make my short films that I recognized not only what people had an appetite for, but also how to translate my ideas in the most succinct way as a writer. And it's because of that process, I think, that the pirate script got better uh, through drafting. And not only that, was a better idea out the gate in comparison to some of my earlier writing. Clearly, uh, you know, something you're very passionate about, you know, and all of the detail, you can definitely see what I assume is a lot of you uh, in the script. And, and it feels like a feature film is a good way to express uh, yourself. Yeah, without sounding like a massive narcissist, there is a lot of me in the film. Uh, go and see it and, and look at me for, 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 for 90 minutes. No, it's, um, there, there is a lot of me in those characters, but also there's a lot of people I grew up with. You know, uh, the people that I um, I was friends with, the people that I wanted to be friends with, the people that I looked up to. Um, and I actually grew up in North London and moved to South London. So at that time, they were very different worlds in terms of um, how people spoke, the slang that people used. So there's a lot of both sides of the river in this film. And um, yeah, it's just it's just really, really cool to see it all come together. And now strangers are seeing it this is weird it's stranger danger time for me now i guess you get to a point where you release the film out in the world and it's not yours anymore or you know your collaborators who've been working on this for so long it's it's up to the public to go and see it and you have to wave goodbye yeah. like saying goodbye to your kids it is the weirdest and strangest feeling ever being locked in an edit room with something for so long and you know uh, talking with your execs about it talking with your team about it grading it doing a sound mix all of these different things and then suddenly it's not yours. Suddenly it belongs to the world. Suddenly everybody else can decide whether or not all that hard work was worth it or not. And it's mortifying at the same time, really, really liberating because you just have to let it go. And I'm really glad that that hasn't been a difficult process because ultimately I'm proud of what we made. When you go to a screening of this at cinema and you actually see this on the big screen, how does that make you feel as the filmmaker? Mate, it makes me want to burst into tears every time. I'm pathetic. <laughs> It's the best thing in the world. It's, it genuinely is. I'm a fan of film. I grew up with film. Film was my one of my first best mates. My mum and my big sister and I, uh, when we were in this council estate in North London and my mum didn't want me to play outside because it wasn't particularly the safest place to be, I would just watch movies and I would watch VHS and I would watch films that I loved over and over again. And it's because of that, you know, the movies of the 80s are so influential to me. And it's because of that that I have a strange obsession with Eddie Murphy movies and 
Uh, and, and, you know, there's a lot of that in Pirates. You can really feel it. The fingerprints are all there. It's always a joy to talk to a fellow film fan. And it's great when you, you know, you can see a film fan behind the camera sharing their own work uh, on screen. Speaking of being a film fan, when, when you go to the cinema or you're choosing what to rent at home, maybe, does a film's runtime ever come into your own decision-making process? Do you know what? If I'm going to be honest, and this isn't to, to, to throw shots at your podcast, but they don't. Uh, the runtime has never really been a concern for me because um, I just want to be entertained and I just really want to enjoy something. So I've got certain cinemas that, because ironically, I always check the runtime. I genuinely do. Uh, and there are certain cinemas that are that bit more comfortable if you're going to go and watch, I don't know, uh, Wolf of Wall Street or something. You know, I, you know you're going to be in the movie theater for nearly three hours, so you might as well get a seat that's super comfy and you know, or a couch or something that reclines or something like that. So I will check the runtime to make sure that I pick the right seat. Outside of that, I just want to be entertained. I don't care how long it is. When we reached out to talk about coming on the podcast, we gave you a bit of homework, asked you to select an under 90 minute film. You came back with some really great choices, but how did you how did you pick those and what did you settle on today? I picked them based on movies that have stayed with me, really. Uh, the one that we're going to talk about is, it really does speak to my time as a kid watching movies over and over again and being absolutely obsessed by the lead actor in it. It's interesting because Airplane isn't my favorite movie from Leslie Nielsen. I absolutely loved the Naked Gun movies. They were the ones. And I, I'd stumbled into, as a kid, because um, I'm not entirely sure which came out first. I think Airplane came out before Naked Gun and the whole Police Squad uh, TV show, etc. But um, anything with Leslie Nielsen in at one point, I was obsessed by. And when I saw Airplane, I was just blown away by it. <laughs> In this hilarious spoof on disaster films, a former pilot who is terrified of flying due to his wartime foul-ups is forced to take over the controls of a plane after the pilots contract food poisoning. Airplane, uh, released in 1980, um, it's an American parody film written and directed by David and Jerry Zucker and Jim Abrams, uh, and it's their directorial debuts. What a directorial debut this is. Uh, It stars Robert Hayes stars Julie Haggerty and features an amazing supporting cast, including Leslie Nielsen, uh, as you mentioned. Uh, We've also got Lloyd Bridges, Peter Graves and Kareem Abdul-Jabbar in there uh, as well. And uh, this was a film that cost $3.5 million and it ended up grossing $171 million at Worldwide Box Office, a huge financial hit. And uh, and a classic, as you mentioned, an audience classic, 87 minutes long. Uh, Yeah, I mean, it it is a classic. And it's one of those films that was on TV all the time when I was growing up. And um, it did have some real naughty adult humour in there. And I love physical humour. Like, I grew up loving um, The Pink Panther and movies like that. Uh, The visual gags were a huge part of their arsenal. And Airplane was certainly that as well. And... um, my family used to always watch movies together uh, as a big old group. I remember movies like Uncle Buck and, and, and other movies of that era that always had these really uncomfortable moments when there was something pertaining to sex and it just being the most horrific and horrendous thing to sit through as a kid because your grand's right next to you and so is your mum. And Airplane definitely has that too. I remember those moments, especially in 80s comedies. Always a lot of boobs in 80s comedies, which would make you feel quite uncomfortable as a young man. If I'm wrong here, there's like a point where a woman with her boobs out just runs through the aisle at several points, right? Yeah. Was that that a naked woman just running through for no reason? It's just like, 
hilarious, ridiculous. Yeah, when it all goes a bit crazy, uh, you just you just throw that into the mix because hey, why not? <laughs> uh, so this is something that you you first watched on TV. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, it was something that I watched with the family. Uh, my grand used to love to laugh, and we would always watch comedies together or like James Bond movies or whatever. And she cackle um at, at silliness and she loved leslie nilson because he was just so silly and he had this incredible straight guy vibe about him but he was actually not the straight guy um so yeah i, I watched it with the family and it sounds like you're uh you're sort of a big comedy fan as well so this is very much in your in your wheelhouse yeah without a doubt i mean um you know you're not that much younger than me uh, so i'm sure for you growing up like doing movie marathons with uh with films that that were definitely uh, indicative of the era, shall we say, where the montage sequence is incredibly, incredibly important to the character's progress, like all of the action movies of that era, uh, or, you know, the, the amazing ensemble, some of which had come from Saturday Night Live, really influenced how into it you were. Um, I just loved those films of that era, and all of them came to me either through VHS or through being screened on TV. It was so nice when things were on TV and you had that moment in like school the next day or college when everybody had seen the same thing. And I do remember see when it was things like Naked Gun on TV or Uncle Bunk, like you mentioned before, like everybody just regaling people with the jokes from those films is really, really good fun. And I think with Airplane, like we could probably just do this whole podcast just talking about all of the individual gags because it is a gag a second. There are so many jokes in this film. It's pretty relentless. Do you remember any one line? Is the Shirley gag in Airplane or Naked Gun? Am I getting a mix up? It's Airplane, isn't it? It is an Airplane. It is an Airplane. Which And it's such an amazing line. Was it, is it, it says, surely that can't be the case. It says, don't call me Shirley. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, good. Okay. What I'm always struck by when I watch this is I'm going in expecting that line, but it still makes me laugh. And I know it, like, you know it out of context. But when it comes up in the film, it's about an hour in. It just sort of comes out of nowhere because at that point, you've been bashed over the head by so many jokes. Well, that's one of the best things about repeat viewing, isn't it? That you know what you're getting and you're going back to review or to, to enjoy something, even though you know exactly the way it's going to go. And it's that lovely comfort that you feel in familiarity. And I think in a lot of ways, the movies of that era all had a familiar sort of arc and all sort of followed a very similar sort of story, or at least the character's journey wasn't that too dissimilar from film to film. So you knew that you were safe and you knew that you were going to be entertained. And that was a huge part of um, my formative years. I just feel very lucky growing up um, in the 80s and 90s, having this whole generation of filmmakers uh, coming of age and their comedic and dramatic work really being something special at that time, particularly when it comes to comedies. You know, we've not really had a moment where the mid-level budget movie reigned supreme in the way that it did in that era. And they're just not getting made anymore. You know, it's tiny independent movies now with big tent poles and IP. And there's absolutely nothing wrong with that because, you know, you can still find those smaller movies if you go and look for it. But those mid-level comedy movies that were being made over and over and over again kind of got killed by the horrible, repetitive nature of what was done in the 90s and people trying to be the Farrelly's and ruining it with rubbish, gross-out rip-offs of There's Something About Mary. So long may the, the, the 90-minute comedy continue. I always feel like 90 minutes is about the right time for a comedy, especially if it's as funny as Airplane. Like, 
I think I might die if Airplane was two and a half hours long. Like, I don't think my body could cope with that many jokes. Uh, I've got to ask you, what's your favourite um, movie on the night? You've been doing this for three years. I'm sure I'm not the only person to ask. It's a, such a hard question. We've covered over 70 movies and... Like I, some of them have been real discoveries. A lot of them have been first time watches. Sometimes I like, oh, that recommendation was so solid. Like I, that's now become one of my favorites. And we watched the films a lot leading up to it. But I think going into doing this pod, when we decided to do it a few years ago, I had a couple which I loved, like Stand By Me is 85 minutes long. It's a classic. And I was surprised to learn it was under 90 minutes. Just sort of found that through Google. So I went into this pod with that as one of my all-time favorite films already. And then I clocked the runtime. So that's sort of like solid, you know, five gold stars on the fridge uh, in the permanent collection. It's been such a joy doing this because we, you know, we've had people from all sorts of different backgrounds. Some people have chosen some really early cinema, like Charlie Chaplin, Buster Keaton. Uh, and then some people have chosen some really new uh, films, uh, modern films. Like this year, there's been some really great under 90 minute films out, like Pirates, like Censor came out earlier in the year as well. Always on the lookout for it. But uh, it didn't really answer the question. But I think Stand By Me, if I had to pick one. really funny, as a, as a writer, I think the, um, the 90 minute film really focuses you in terms of your storytelling. Because... People want a 16th story. People want a story that really hits them in the gut or, you know, makes them laugh and makes them feel a certain way in, in as quickly a time, runtime as possible. And um, to tell a story and to tell a convincing, to share a convincing journey uh, in 90 minutes is hard. It's really, really hard because that's not a lot of runtime. But when it's done well, you get standby, you know. And um, I just find it really inspiring to try and get my page count down whenever I'm writing because I know that the holy grail is in the shorter film. So being as as hard on myself as I can when it comes to storytelling without, you know, making the story suffer as a result, but making as short a film as possible is the way forward, I find. It makes you really hone your craft, you know, like, because it's more work, you know, going in, just, you know, trying to chop out five minutes of, uh, like, you know, a hundred pages of, it's going to be hard. Um, and what can you lose without losing any of the story? So I feel like it's a, like a magic trick when a film takes me on that emotional journey. Whether it's a three hour film, that doesn't feel like three hours. I love that magic trick. But I think my favorite cinema magic trick is an under 90 minute film that gives you this satisfying arc. If it makes you laugh, makes you cry, like Stand By Me does, then, you know, you're onto a, onto a proper winner. I couldn't agree more. I couldn't agree more. That is the win and as i said that's the holy grail and, and you've picked a, an absolute classic with stand by me because if you're able to make people laugh and cry in that time you are a genius you'd better tell the captain we've got to land as soon as we can this woman has to be gotten to a hospital a hospital what is it it's a big building with patients but that's not important right now what strikes me with with airplane uh, is to a similar point is it doesn't take you on that I guess like a, a genuine emotional journey because it's a properly <laughs> laugh out loud comedy, but yeah. it is, um, it has this pretense of being a serious film and everybody is playing it so straight in the lead cast, especially, you know, like the, our main character has a drinking problem because of the trauma he suffered during the war. And I do love that the gag about his drinking problem is that he can't get fluid in his mouth. But, you know, like that, that's a trope from that disaster movie genre that is parodying and, and they're sort of having fun with it. And they do it throughout, like Leslie Nielsen, you mentioned. He's a, a TV actor and a dramatic actor going into this, his first comedy. And then he has this second lease of life on his career, which is such a great story. You know, my, my, my favorite kind of films are movies that know what they are. And I think Airplane doesn't, it doesn't shy away from what it's attempting to do. And that is just keep you laughing the entire time. And the fact that it is 
played so straight tells me that it was directed in a particular particular way, which also means it was written in a particular way. There are no accidents here. Everybody knew the mission and absolutely executed. And because of that, you get a film that just nails it all the way through. And there's nothing worse than being sold one movie in a trailer and turning up and watching something different because the marketers have suddenly realized that what's been made, no one's going to want to see. They've got to sell it as something else. You can't cut a trailer for Airplane <laughs> without it being revealed how ridiculous it actually is. And uh, as a kid watching, the more ridiculous elements of it, like the inflatable pilot, for instance, just got me because I was like, how is he smoke? Why is he smoking? Wait, did he just have sex with her? What's going on? He's inflatable. This is ridiculous. And as a kid, you're, you're, you're thinking all of these things and trying to get your head around the absurdity of it all, but just loving it while you're in the process. You know, this is made for pure, unadulterated entertainment. I, I guess it's like a mix of the really great one-liners, but then some of the visual gags. Because I went into re-watching this film like, all right, come on, Airplane, I've seen you a million times. Try and make me laugh, go on. And then within 10 seconds, you see... Uh, a Jaws parody in the clouds with the plane's tail fin going back and forth, back and forth. And like, okay, you got me. You win again, airplane. Sometimes you just want to be silly. And I think given the world that we exist in right now, um, having movies or having TV shows that can just help you unplug are brilliant. And I think that's why every streaming service will always fight for Seinfeld or fight for The Office because that ability to watch something where you can just unplug is essential and we all look for it, which is why we return to Friends 30 years later or however long it's been, we return to Seinfeld and The Office, as I've already said. I, I think that this movie falls into that category in a lot of ways. You know, if you just want to watch something and not think and just laugh, that's what movies like this do. And in a weird way, it's a shame because we don't get movies like this anymore. Like, what was that, um, oh God, what was that movie uh, that was a Top Gun parody, um, Hot Shots? When we, yeah, it, it, when I was a teenager, I remember Hot Shots coming out and I was like, oh my God, this feels like Airplane, this feels like Naked Gun, it felt just as silly. Um, and those movies aren't being made anymore, you know, uh, those silly tongue-in-cheek parodies, they're just not being made. I think the last movie that we saw that was as silly was maybe the Scream movies, um, not Scream, sorry, Scary Movie movies. That was the last run of films that feel like this and... Um, yeah, there's room for them. They need to be back. We need more. I totally agree. I, I think they, they filmmakers got lazy. Like by the time we got to Scary Movie 5 or 6, they were probably phoning it in. But um, I guess this is like the OG parody movie. And 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 filmmakers just saw it as a cash cow. Uh, the studios were like, oh, you know, you can make these really cheap. They make loads of money. Look what Airplane did. I mean, you mentioned a sequel earlier, which is also under 90 minutes, but the filmmakers of the original Airplane have never seen. They had nothing to do with it. Zucker, Abram, Zucker. Uh, they just walked away. It's such a shame as well, because for them to be so successful with their first film, uh, I imagine must be a huge thing for them. You know, as a filmmaker myself, uh, the thought of people seeing Pirates is an incredibly exciting prospect, but that many people seeing your first movie, what an amazing achievement. And for it to be essentially taken off their hands and run with by a studio who just see it as a cash cow is heartbreaking, I'm sure. So, um, yeah, I'm actually going to do some research when we get off this to find out what happened to them. I mean, do you know? Do you know much about what happened to the guys? The studio said, we want to see another sequel. We want it now. 
and Zucker Abrams Zucker were like, oh, we've got other things we want to do. We want to do the Naked Gun TV show. Uh, we want to do some more fun stuff with Leslie Nielsen. And I just think they wouldn't, there was no negotiation. It was like, we're doing it now with or without you because we we're Paramount. We own the rights. And they walked away, made a TV series. And then they turned that TV series into a really successful run of Naked Gun films. So I guess they came out on top okay in the end. Fair play to them. And that legacy of Airplane into Naked Gun is brilliant because you can feel the filmmakers through those. It feels consistent. It feels like the same people. It's the same voice, which is awesome because my favorite filmmakers uh, are unmistakable from movie to movie. And that's not about being uh, the same. That's not about telling the same story. It's about telling it in a way that no one else can, which is why I think we all love distinctive auteurs. And um, I hopefully will go on to become one of those because I write and direct and I certainly have my own voice and I certainly have my own way of doing things. And with a bit more budget, I'll be able to do that even more uh, as we as we progress through the, uh, the, the career that I'm, I'm hoping to have really started in a strong way with Pirates. Hey guys, this is Kobe here from Flix Watcher Podcast. And I'm Helen, also from Flix Watcher Podcast. We are another podcast in the Strip Media family and we review films on Netflix. Ever struggle to find a film to watch on the Netflix? Well, we're the podcast for you and we have guests from other podcasts, big and small, and they're the ones that actually choose the films that we rate and talk about in our episodes. Like the sound of this? Find us by searching Flix Watcher, F-L-I-X Watcher, and make sure you subscribe. And if you want more information about any of the other podcasts in the Strip Media family, just visit www.strips.media to find out more. The story of Making Airplane is like a proper success story. And, and I always love it when a filmmaker is riding that, you know, like classic success story. And what I love is they they cast Leslie Nielsen in a really you know small supporting role in this. And then they loved his performance so much they took him away developed a TV show around him and, and made a character for him. Do you have collaborators like that who are like, I want to give you a bigger shot next time. I want to, I've discovered you, you're great in this role, but you're going to be the lead, my friend, next time. Um, well, I wouldn't be so bold as to say that I've discovered anyone, but I've certainly worked with people that I'd love to work with again. And um, prior to Pirates, I made four short films, uh, two of which star Tossin Cole, who's an amazing actor who, um, went on to be in Doctor Who and subsequently now is in some huge stuff that hasn't come out yet. He's, um, uh, he is in, I think it's called 60 First Date, which is a huge, huge American TV series, which is just wrapped and they're currently grading it. It's the same colorist from Pirates, my Voyager team, who's coloring that as well. So I know that they're in the grade right now. And he's in uh, House Party as well. They're rebooting the House Party movies. And Tossin is one of the leads in that as well, which is really cool. He's going to be a, or he is a movie star now. It's, it's just amazing. And then you've got someone like Daniel Kalua, who I made a short film with years ago. And um, he's an Oscar winner now, so I probably can't afford him. So I've got to, I think I've got to make, I've got to make a few more movies before I can give Daniel a call and go, mate, I've got something maybe we can do together again. But um, at this point, I don't think my budget is big enough to afford the Oscar winner Daniel Kalua again. Because he was only a couple of quid when I worked with him. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I mean, you know, I mean, maybe it's time to reboot that disaster movie, mid-level budget, and you can, you just need them in for one day, you know? Yeah. Need yeah. Daniel Kaluuya to do something incredible and obscene, maybe on camera for one day, make everybody laugh. Well, it's happened, you know, Naomi Harris shot out her part in Moonlight in four days and ended up getting nominated for an Oscar for it. So you never know, stranger things have happened. Maybe I'll be able to book 
Danny for two days at some point and absolutely blow the budget on those 48 hours. <laughs> <laughs> I think that's money well spent. Can you fly this plane and land it? Surely you can't be serious. I am serious. And don't call me Shirley. So we have got Airplane in our under 90 minute film festival, which is a film festival that only screens under 90 minute films. From a scheduling point of view, it's a dream. As a, as guest curator, as someone who's chosen a film, Reggie, we'd like to get maybe a, a you know a little bit more of uh, of you in this screening as well. So uh, you know, if if you had to pick a cinema or a location to show Airplane to an audience, a paying audience, where would you like to screen it? Oh, that's really difficult um, because you're making me pick between some of the cinemas that I've loved going to that haven't changed in years versus some of the more newer, shiny ones that are super comfortable and really beautiful. So it's a bit of a toss up for me. Um, I, I'll never forget being 14 years old and watching Blair Witch and Screen One at the Brixton Ritzy and just being absolutely blown away by it. But seeing it in this beautiful red and gold ornate room, I love that cinema. And we're actually doing the Pirates premiere in that room as well, which was not an accident. <laughs> so I'm super excited. So that's one of my favorite rooms in London. But I also love a screen on the green in Islington. Um, and all of these cinemas are connected to films that I saw that were massive for me. Like I saw Lockstock in that cinema when I was a teenager and I just got so excited about what could be done with a camera off the back of what Guy Ritchie was doing with not very much quite clearly. And also, you know, I grew up in Islington, which is Cockney capital of the world outside of East London, outside of Bow and Hackney. And we're right next door. So it's just, I grew up around Cockney people in my estate and at my school. And to watch something like Lockstock in the cinema that we all idolise is incredible. So, do you know what? I'm not even going to talk about a new cinema. I'm going to talk about the cinema in South London I love, which is Brixton Ritzy and Peckham Premier too, but that's another story. Uh, and Screen on the Green is then. Love them. North and South of the River. We can bounce between both screens. Very reminiscent of the plot of Pirates as well. My life, bro, it's my life. <laughs> <laughs> we can drive drive down here. We're, we're recording this in South London as we speak. You've got a lovely cinema up there in Crystal Palace now, just by the park, which is gorgeous. And I frequent myself as a South Londoner now. Um, and I think that more and more people, you know, this is not to get too London-centric, but I think more and more people are starting to travel south of the river because there is so much here and it's so much greener and so much quieter. And... Um, I love that more cinemas are opening here because there was a huge history of cinemas in Southeast London that all got either burnt down or shut down. And now there's nowhere near as many as, uh, as the people deserve, but there's a big new one being built in Lewisham Roundabout. You've got a lovely picture house, I think it is. And um, there's more and more coming. So yeah cinema may cinema live on now we're at the screening we're going to screen this in uh you know maybe a couple of your favorite london cinemas which i love the sound of if you had to choose a couple of snacks to take in with you to serve the audience what's your go-to uh cinema cinema snack of choice super easy uh sweet and salt popcorn mixed in layers i'm very specific about this you have to put layers in so you get a sweet and savory experience consistently through the popcorn um and i'll sprinkle on top some minstrel because why not? And I will usually, if I'm being a grown-up, have a cup of tea. But if I'm not being a grown-up, I'll have the big Pepsi. I love the sound of that. And yes, the correct serving of popcorn is sweet and salt together. That's a fact. I'm going to steal the minstrels idea, though, because that also sounds delicious. Nay, it blew my mind when I went to the Arclight for the first time in, in America, which is one of my favourite cinemas in Los Angeles. 
I, I I was blown away when they asked me if I'd like a topper with my popcorn. I was like, what's that? And they had this array of candy chocolate, um, like chocolate with candy shells. And they were like, oh no, you pour that on top of your, your popcorn. I was like, what? And that's what I brought back to the UK. So yeah, Arclight Cinema changed my snack eating experience. Oh, that's incredible. Okay, that's a good serving suggestion, listeners. And finally, if you had to invite one guest, and I'm aware some of the cast from Airplane are no longer with us, so they can be living or dead, uh, one guest to be at the screening of Airplane, who would you like to invite on stage with you? Only one person, it's Leslie Nielsen, man. That guy is a comedy god. He doesn't have to do anything and he's funny. So just Leslie Nielsen stood still staring at me would be the funniest speech ever. So uh, I'll take Leslie Nielsen any day. We could bill it as a Q&A with Leslie Nielsen, but he just stands there because the audience would be in stitches as well. He just stands there looking confused, which is his best face ever. That would be wild. Um, we've got uh, we've got Naked Guns already in our festival. Uh, Radio One, a film critic Ali Plum picked Naked Gun. So we could maybe put Naked Gun and Airplane back to back. That would be a cool oh, double bill. That is a, a double bill uh, worthy of the Prince Charles Cinema. Well, there we go. Airplane is in the 90 Minutes or Less Film Festival. Thank you so much, Reggie. Real pleasure. Thank you for for having me and thank you for including my film in the festival. I'm a very happy man. I really hope one day someone comes back on and wants to choose Pirates. It'd be so cool to have a a guest who's like, yeah, I saw, I went to Brixton Ritzy, I watched Pirates, (laughs) uh, changed my life, I saw myself on screen and and now I'm a filmmaker or doing something creative and and, uh, and I want to put Reggie Yates' Pirates into the mix. 83 minutes. If that happened, I think I would collapse because my life would be if listeners want to stay up to date with what you're uh, what you're up to can they find you on social media yeah um twitter and instagram uh, my handle is at reg yates even though i'm terrible at using my social media because i'm an old man and i'm not on it anywhere near as much as i need to be but um we're shouting loads uh, across social media about pirates obviously because we want people to see it so november 26th it's going to be in cinemas up and down the country and i'd love you to go and see it because it is under 90 minutes it is fun and it's a comedy and comedies are best enjoyed when they are watched with an audience to get to the cinema to see it from November 26th. Absolutely. I can say it looks and sounds so good on a big screen as well. You've got an incredible soundtrack. Um, whether you know the artist or not, if you're a, you know, a whippersnapper going in uh, to this film, but you'll want to come out and find out more about them because the soundtrack is incredible. Thank you so much. Thank you for listening. Please subscribe on Apple Podcasts or your podcatcher of choice. You can also listen on our website, 90minfilmfest.com. That's 90minfilmfest.com. You can contact us there or on Twitter and Instagram at 90minfilmfest. The podcast is produced by Louise Owen and me, Sam Clements. The show is edited by Louise Owen with sound mixing and additional editing by Luke Smith. Our music is by Martin Ostwick and our artwork is by Sam Gilby. And we'll be back in a couple of weeks. We're a proud member of the Stripped Media Network.